Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Our speaker today is uh, a fast friend uh, to me. He is now the assistant superintendent of the state of Illinois for uh, the Assemblies of God, and, but he's been a pastor for many years uh, in Alton, Illinois, uh, and built up an amazing church down there. Also has three kids married. He can tell you all about that. Um, is, is just an awesome man of God. Before, many years ago, he's originally from Arkansas. He was the district youth director in Arkansas, and uh, and. You're just in for a treat for a great Sunday. Pastor Roy Rhodes, come on up. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Brian. Thank you, buddy. Have y'all noticed how handsome your pastor is? That is a good-looking man right there. Have y'all noticed that? I had to point that out. Yeah. Hey, good morning, guys. So good to be with you this morning. What a great, uh, great joy. I'm, I have a weird uh, sense of humor. I don't know if any of, any of y'all, I know none of you do, but any of you married to somebody that has a weird sense of humor? Yeah. <laughs> Could you play that, that uh, the, the announcement, Jen, the little announcement song that was going on behind Pastor Brian? Can you put that on again? How many of you, I'm 57. How many of you are in my age group? Anybody? Okay, when that started playing, you know what my first song, my first thought was? Ice cream truck. I wanted to get up. Who's got, I felt like I was supposed to run out. But doesn't that sound like the ice cream truck? You young people don't know what I'm talking about. But if you're my age, thank you, Jen. I was, yeah. So, hey, guys, it's such a great joy to be with you. I bring you greetings. You guys had uh, Pastor Phil Snyder just, uh, what, a month ago, two months ago, something like that? August. Wow, it's been that long. Uh, bring you greetings from him. We worked, our offices are right next to each other. We worked together, and uh, he loved being with you guys. I told him, Pastor Phil, don't worry. I will go and fix everything you messed up. All right? So be sure and tell him I said that. All right? We'll have a good time. Guys, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 in just a moment. Oh, it's a good day. Amen? I, uh, I'm in a different church every week. Pastor Brian told you I pastored for 21 years as a lead pastor. Before that, I was a youth pastor, worship leader, associate pastor, district youth director, did all those things. I'm in a different church every week, and before we get to the Word, I just want to encourage you with something. Um, you, you, may take this, you may take what you have here for granted. Uh, I just want you to know, it's not like this in every church. Uh, I'm in churches where people don't worship. The, the, I mean, it's just, it's just it's, it doesn't feel like this. So when you come in, you go, man, I love my church. I love this. You just need to appreciate that. Amen? Amen. It's, uh, this is a great place. I've, if I lived here, I'd go to church here, Pastor Brown. All right? And uh, uh, it's just a good, great presence of the Lord. Uh, just have so grown to love your pastor and his wife. Had dinner at their house last night. My goodness, these people can cook. <laughs> Felt like I needed a wheelbarrow to get them up just to roll out of there. I was so full, but we had a good time. Let me tell you just a little bit about myself. Uh, Pastor Brian told you, I've been married to my high school sweetheart for almost 39 years. 
Uh, I was three, she was two when we got married, if you're doing the math. Uh, we're from Arkansas, we marry early there. And no, she's not my cousin. Just want to get that out of the way, all right? Um, my wife comes from a very long-time Christian family. Mom and dad were married. When her, mom, her mom passed away a number of years ago. Uh, they had been married 57 years when her mom died. Her grandparents, when her grandmother died, they'd been married 64 years when her grandmother died. Uh, they all live in sort of one community. All the cousins are there. It's like the Waltons, for those of you that are old enough to remember. The, everybody lives right there. They all know each other. They work the same job for 50 years. I come from a very, very different kind of family. Uh, nobody gets married. Everybody's drunk. Everybody does drugs. Everybody's. My mom's been married seven times. I have six half-brothers and sisters. I was the first one to go to college, first one to uh, know the Lord, first one to have any of that sort of experience in my life. I don't tell you that to make you, oh, he had a rough life. I tell you that because of what I'm going to preach this morning and where we're going to go. We'll come back to that in a moment. I don't know where you come from. Um, don't know what your background is. Don't know where you're from. Don't know what brought you here, how long you've been saved. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've just come to know Jesus. I just want to encourage you today a little bit about what the Lord can do with your life. Amen? Can I pray for us before we go? Father, what a great opportunity. Thank you for Pastor Brian, Angela Lord, and just this whole church family, their leadership, the impact they're making on Lockport, and really this region, Father. I pray you just open up the windows of heaven. Lord, you have a plan for this group of people. You didn't pull them together by coincidence. They are not together just because uh, Pastor Brian wanted to plant a church. Uh, they, they are here, Father, by the providence of God. Lord, you've orchestrated their steps. You have, you have aligned and intersected their lives for a divine purpose. Uh, maybe they come here because, well, they like the worship, or they like Pastor Brian's preaching, or they like the other people. Or, but, Father, there's something beyond that. They are ordained by you for this period, at this place, at this time, Lord, to do something for your kingdom. And I pray that before we're done today, Father, they would just feel that calling, that glow, that's, this adventure, Father, this unbelievable opportunity that you have placed upon each of us to be a part of your work. And Father, no matter who they are and no matter where they come from, Lord, I pray that before we're done, they would feel your blessing and your love and your goodness resting upon them. And that they are fully capable of moving the kingdom of God forward in the world. No matter where they came from, what you did in their lives has equipped them to be your men, your women, wherever they are every day of their life. Fill this place with your presence today in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Hey guys, I want to take you to a really interesting uh, section of scripture. At least it's to me. Um, I'm in the process of doing my dissertation for my doctorate. So I've been studying the first 26 verses of the book of Genesis for like ever, and I'm nearing it. I have a neat, I told uh, Emma a little bit ago and her sister, uh, I have a neat, uh, I'm, I'm done with all the coursework, I'm writing my dissertation, and my wife, who was a school teacher and a principal and then a nurse, uh, she has a, she really likes to uh, say, are you going to work on schoolwork today? Are you going to work on schoolwork today? Any of y'all married to a wife like that, men? Hey, you going to mow that yard today? You're going you're gonna to pick up, you're going to, hey, would you get, I don't know. So I made a deal with her. I said, look, you can, 
remind me, that's the kind word, you can remind me about my schoolwork anytime you want, but every time you do, I get to kiss you. It's a good, good deal. So men, make a deal with your wife. You can ask me to fold the clothes whenever you want, but every time you do, I get to kiss you. So it's a good deal. Genesis 126, listen to this verse. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry across the ground. I think most of you are aware that Adam wasn't born. He was formed. He, he didn't have a mother and a father. He was formed from the literally from the, the dirt of the earth. God formed him. He formed Adam, breathed life into him. And so because of that, Adam didn't inherit a human nature yet. He was in every way. He lived until the fall in a sinless state. He was, like Jesus, a sinless man until that moment. He didn't inherit any of the sin nature. He was in so many ways like God. And if I were to ask you, and uh, Riker, Riker would probably get this because he's doing a PhD in Old Testament. He'd probably catch me on this. But that phrase, let us make man in our image after our likeness. If I asked you if that was the only place in the scripture where you find that in this creation narrative of the forming of Adam, most people would say, yep, that's where it's at. That's the only place that it's at. But it's not. It's, and in chapter 3, where it retells the creation, that's not really what I'm talking about. It's actually found a little bit later. Before we get to that other place, I just want to remind you of something here. And it's that, it's that idea that God passed into Adam what he was. That Adam was in... Well, the, 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 the language seems to indicate that when creation looked at Adam, it sort of did a double take to see if that was the father or Adam, so much like the father was Adam. We really don't have any parallel to that, but Adam was very much, he wasn't a God, he was a man-made, he was a God-made man, but he was very much like the father. It was this idea that the nature of God was passed on into Adam. The thing that I want you to notice, first of all, is that God created mankind with that ability to pass on what they were not just in the genetic sense like parents to their kids because I want you to notice there we're going to see something in a moment where that nature gets passed from one generation to the next the second place that that phrase is found in a it's in a strange place it's in Genesis chapter 5 now can anybody tell me by Genesis chapter 5 what's happened What's already happened by Genesis 5 to the world, to mankind? In case you haven't thought about it yet, the fall has happened. Adam and Eve have sinned. And so listen to the language in Genesis 5. It says, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like what? Be like himself. He made Adam to be like him. He created the male and female and he blessed them and he called them human. Now listen to verse 3. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son, and here's that phrase again, who was just like him in his very image. If you look at the Hebrew words, it's exactly the same phrase as how God created Adam like him. Adam made a son, Seth, his name was Seth, who was just like him, made in his image. What's interesting 
is that because this happens, when it happens, Seth didn't come out like his dad. Because he wasn't formed by God. He was formed in the natural way that babies are made. He he was born, and what got transmitted from Adam to Seth wasn't the same thing that got transmitted from the father into Adam. And what got passed into Seth was now a fallen sin nature that all of us have now inherited. That passing from one generation to the next, just keep doing that over and over, from generation to generation to generation to generation. Adam's sin nature passed from one generation to the next, and every time you do that, it gets a little worse, and it gets a little worse, and it gets a little worse, and then you come to 2022, whoo! And here we are in the world we're living in today. There's a description of that in Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, This was, you know, back during the time when Paul was writing, but he's writing about a future time when he says about those who would be the inheritors of that nature. He says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. And then I love this last phrase, and they disobey their parents. Kids, you disobey your parents, you're in that list, all right? I just want you to notice that generation after generation after generation passes until we come to a place where people are no longer trying to be like the Father. They're inventing ways to do evil. Sound like the world we live in today? Say amen if you believe that. This replication from one generation to another is etched into the fabric of humanity. We replicate what we are. Here's the question I have for you today. What are you creating? What are you creating? Because more than just the, just the biological transmission of DNA from father and mother to baby so the kids look like you and they sound like you when they answer the phone. Any of you done that? You call somebody and it's now their 14-year-old son. You think you're talking to the dad because the voice even sounds the same. More than that, how does this nature thing get transmitted? How does, the, how does the idea of righteousness or a lack of righteousness, how does one generation move a little further from God? What is it that we're transmitting and how do we do it? I want you to understand this morning that you were made, you were made to transmit what you are into the world around you. You were made to establish light or darkness, good or evil. You were made to influence and bring either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness into your workplace, into your home, into your jobs, into your classrooms. I I have this interesting way of thinking about it. Some people are more like thermometers. What does the thermometer do? simply responds to the temperature around it. It gets hot, the temperature, the the, the mercury in the thermometer goes up. It gets cold, it goes down. They just respond. Other people, and I believe this is what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. And listen, I'm an excitable preacher. I I don't, if you you can't, I I haven't heard you preach yet, Pastor Brown. Are you, (laughs) all of that? Okay, good. My twin brother, all right? Good looking man, your pastor. I'm telling you that right now. Some people, however, you and I as believers, we're not called to be thermometers. We're called to be thermostats. You and I are supposed to be walking into an arena bringing the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be replicating the kingdom of God in every room we walk into. What are you creating? When you walk in, does the drama level go up? When you walk in, does it come down? I know none of you are like that, but you're married to somebody that does that. I know that. 
You don't have to say amen. Just look at the floor, all right? You and I were created to create. You were created to bring the kingdom of God into workplaces and into classrooms and into relationships and into how you spend your money and what you do on vacation. We were made to create the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Not literally, but with the, with the atmosphere around us, with the joy and the peace and the goodness and the love. You and I should be different in the world. Say amen if you believe that. We create something. And it goes on and on and on. This replicating from one generation to the next. One generation to the next. It goes on and on until we end up with something that's written about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says this. This includes, listen to this. You who were once far from God, you were his enemies. Enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. I, I don't know. I don't know what you think. I don't know that I have any enemies. None that I know of. Nobody that would actually say, I'm, listen, I'm opposed to you. I don't know anybody like that. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine being on anybody's enemy list is a good thing. But what's it like if you're God's enemy? What's it like to be in a state where you're actually identified as an enemy of God? The scripture says that's what we all were before we knew him. Why is that? You say, oh no, God is loving. Yes, but there was a moment when the door of the ark closed. You recognize that, right? What is it like to live a life where you're actually working against the things of God? God's trying to pull people one direction and by our lives, we're pushing them another. We're recreating an atmosphere that's contrary to what God's trying to do. I know none of you, some other people somewhere are doing that. But the scripture says we were all that way before we knew him. Aren't you glad you've been saved? Anybody glad you know the Lord? Isn't it better? Isn't life better? Come on, isn't it better than the one? If you grew up in church all your life, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thankful to worship the Lord. I'm glad to be. I'm like the refugee who swam to shore. I'm just happy to be here. Amen? Anybody like that? I know where I could have been. Aren't you glad for the goodness of the Lord and that you're no longer an enemy of God, but rather his spirit lives in you, that you're working to advance the kingdom? We're putting eggs and we're actually putting eggs in their yard or just taking baths. You know what I mean? I, when, when we said you got egged, I thought like that deal where you put the flamingos in people's yards. We're like, y'all do that? So you cover their, yeah. oh, yeah. What happens if you pick the wrong house? <laughs> or like, oh, that was supposed to be that somebody decorate. Anyway, you get it, all right? You see, you were created to, to do something in the world. You were created to, to create something. When you were redeemed, number two, your spiritual DNA was restored. Yes, you were a mess. Anybody a mess before you got saved? Any, any redeemed? Anybody here really redeemed? I mean, you got saved from something. You know what I'm talking about? Now, listen, I, the greatest testimony is that you grew up in church. You've known the Lord all your life. I love that. But that wasn't my testimony. But, um, we were a mess. And I, sometimes I, I still struggle a little bit to, I wake up some days and go, Brian, I'm the assistant intended. These people have no idea what they did. <laughs> they, don't know, they don't know who I am in here. They don't know where I've been, what I've done. Anybody, any of you feel that way every now and then? 
But the wonderful news is your spiritual DNA got completely replaced by the Holy Spirit. You're a brand new creation. Wherever you were before, that old man, that old woman is gone. You're a brand new person in Christ. Whatever mess you grew up in, wherever you came from, that's your past. Your future is an eternity in the presence of God. Your future is joy, love, peace, soundness, strength, goodness, rest, sound mind, sound body. Come on, anybody glad to be blessed? I'm happy for goodness, for what the Lord has done for me. You see, your potential to replicate the nature of God has been restored. What Adam lost, what you were born into, through the atoning work of Jesus, you now have the ability not to replicate that old nature, but to create a brand new one. I got three kids. Better than that, I got five grandkids. Got any grandparents in the room? Wouldn't it have been cool if we could have just gone straight to grandkids? Skip them kids? I, I tell people all the time, I used to have money. Now I have grandkids. You'll get that someday. I tell people all the time, they say, Pastor Roy, are you rich? I'm like, no, I am poor. My wife is loaded. All right? You husbands, no, listen, I have the best wife ever. But I have three kids my daughter Rebecca is 35, my daughter Hannah is 31, and like Reichert and his family, my younger daughter and her husband totally backstood away from the Lord and moved with two of my grandkids to Florida. That's wrong, all right? When they told us they were going to move, I said, man, you're really going to miss your kids? Because I expected them to leave them with me. They didn't. They took my grandkids to Florida. My daughter 35, Rebecca, Hannah is 31. Uh, we had a very, very big surprise 13 years later. His name is Jack. He's 6'3", 265, 18. All right? 13-year gap. Usually when I tell that story, people go, wow. And I go, that's exactly what I said when my wife told me. Wow, there's going to be another one. Here's the amazing thing, though. All three of them love Jesus. They've never known anything but Mom loves dad. Dad loves mom. Our home is filled with peace and joy. They've never seen dad do anything other than serve Jesus. They don't know anything of the past that I grew up in. They've never had one mom. They've never seen dad yelling at mom or hitting mom. or They've never picked me up off the floor drunk. They've never had to drive like I did at 13 all the way across Missouri up to Cape Gerardo, Missouri, where my dad had gotten, well, he'd run out of alcohol and he was a towboat captain and he'd gotten the DTs, if you don't know what that is, where he's hallucinating and shaking and quit his job. And at 13, without a license, I drove all the way to get him. They don't know any of that. How can that happen in one generation? How can it be so different that they, all they know is peace and rest and joy and laughter and love and goodness and education and work and success? Because that's what J Jesus rewires your spiritual DNA, amen? So no matter where you came from today, I want you to know in one generation, the Lord can write a completely new legacy for you and your family. Amen. I'm a testimony of that. 
None of my brothers and sisters graduated high school hardly. I'm finishing my PhD. How could that? I didn't graduate high school. I got a GED in the military. And now I'm, you get it? All of that is what Jesus does. How's that possible? Because he remakes what you are. Your potential to replicate the nature of God has been restored. Here's the, here's the thing that I want you to get. It's no longer about you. You living a godly life, a life filled with the Spirit of God, is all about those around you who don't know him. I want you to know he'll bless you. He'll give you a great life. But that great life is for a purpose. It's to set you into a plan whereby he redeems the world through your life, through your testimony of what he's done. You don't need to be quiet about that. You need to be telling people, man, I was a drunk. Not if you weren't. Don't make it up, all right? All right? Really? Didn't you go to Catholic school? No. Wasn't your, isn't your dad a pastor? Didn't you go to? No, listen. Don't be ashamed of what the Lord's done in you, where you came from. If you don't have that testimony, that's all right. Talk about the goodness of God that preserved you. You, you, you may be the only taste of heaven some people are going to experience today. Philippians chapter 4 verse 9 says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths. Pass them on. Pour them into the environment around you. Teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15 with all these things in mind dear brothers and sisters stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to see that one generation pouring into another creating an environment around keep passing this stuff on Matthew 3:8 prove by the way you live that you've been that you've repented of your sins and turned to God you see because number 3 the spirit of God in you is greater than your fallen nature if you choose him to be you say Oh, I just, I can't live like God asked me to. I, I just won't sugarcoat it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Quit believing that. Yes, you can live like God has called you to. You absolutely can. I want you to know that if I can do it, you can do it. If I can overcome my past, you can overcome yours. If I can quit being angry and bitter at a mom who abandoned me three times, so can you. I hear people all the time, well, Listen, I'm just, it's because of who my parents, no, it's not who your parents were. It's who your heavenly father is. Amen. Yes, you can. The word of God that is alive. Greater is he that now lives in you than he that lives in the world. All of that past has been redeemed. He can do something in you to change the world around you. Because the world desperately needs the people of God. Remember who they are and what they're called to do. You're called to do something. I love the benefits of being a Christian, but pretty early on, I recognize that those benefits come with a responsibility. I'm called to be the light in people's lives. People mess up your order at the restaurant. Don't be a jerk. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. Any waitresses in the room? You be gracious. You be Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. Spirit of generosity, a spirit of kindness. Your neighbor, you know, you know, mows one foot over the yard. Well, next time just mow one foot over his. <laughs> but do it with joy. 
You're in a tough relationship. You be the one that says, I'm sorry first. Why? Because you're the believer in Christ. The Spirit of God lives in you that raised Christ from the dead. Come on, you can be something different. You can change the world around you. I'm beginning to sweat. (laughs) Matthew 5 says you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on the stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Let your good deeds shine out. You're not conceited in it. You're humble in it. Let people see the good stuff that the Lord's doing in you so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see, God created you to bring the light of the kingdom of God into every life you touch. You might be tempted to think that you don't matter. Listen, I'm not a preacher. I'm not the superintendent. I'm not the assistant superintendent. I'm, I just come to church. I come to church because I like it. It's close to my house. Why are you here? Listen, you don't have to like me. I'm leaving right after the dip and I won't be back. <laughs> well, I hope I'll be back. You don't have to agree. Why are you here today? I want you to know you can change the world. You say, oh, that's preacher talk. That's just preacher talk. No, you can change your world. You can change your workplace. You can be the light. Who knows around, who's around you? You can be the one that brings the kingdom of God to someone. You. You say, no, no, no. I'm, I stutter when I get in front of people and talk. Well, so what? So did Moses. So stutter. People need to see real. That you're nervous when you talk about the Lord. That'll let them know you're scared and it's real and it's meaningful and it's heavy. Go ahead and stutter. You say, I can't make a difference. I want to tell you a story. Maybe the biggest miracle I've ever been a part of. And I'll close with this. Many years ago, you heard Pastor Brian say that I had become the district youth director. I was elected. I was a youth pastor. Elected to be the district youth director. When I took the office, my predecessor, who was retiring from from that, said, hey, listen, there's a trip that I had scheduled to go on that you've got to go in my place. I said, okay, where to? I'm thinking, you know, Mexico or somewhere. He said, Mongolia. Guys, I'm from Arkansas. I had to look. <laughs> Where's Mongolia? All right, maybe you just know where that is. And I don't know if you know it, but it's literally on the other side of the globe from where we are right now. It's just, you go any further from there, you start coming home. <laughs> All right, it's literally on the other side. Several years later, after I'd traveled quite a lot, I, I made a trip where I went west through Europe and went to Russia and on this trip, I had gone east through Asia and went to, you know, went to Hong Kong in that way. And my wife pointed out that she said, you were within five degrees of going all the way around the world. I was like, oh, you told me that before. And I got out there and walked a ways or something. You know, I don't know. Say I've been all the way around. So I started the process of getting a visa. Now, this was about, uh, this was about 1999. 
wasn't that long after the Soviet Union had fallen. The, when the Soviet Union fell, they had come in and they had taken over Mongolia. And people that had normally been, for years, who had been nomadic herdsmen, the, over a course of years, they had moved them into large high-rise apartment buildings in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. They, in, the, in the Soviet system, these high-rise buildings didn't have their own uh, utilities. They put in these centralized sort of uh, factories that produced all the hot water, all the electricity, all the heat, all the, and they would have like five or six of these buildings hooked to one of these. And when the Soviet Union fell and they left, they stripped those buildings of all the stuff and they left tens of thousands of people living in buildings with no electricity, no phones, no heat, no water in a place where it gets 30 below zero. The very first missionaries when the Soviet Union fell that went into Mongolia was a couple that I was friends with named Mike and Dee Luton. And the second missionary families were coming in. And the reason for the trip was that we were shipping. You couldn't ship stuff to Mongolia then because there was no utility, no mail, no phones. This was before cell phones. Internet was, was not there in any way. You couldn't, you couldn't ship stuff there unless it went in someone's personal goods. So in one of those big Sealand containers, the second missionary family was moving into there, and we put a sound system in that container so that we could install it in the first church to ever be in Mongolia. It was very difficult to get a visa. I sent my passport to the Mongolian embassy. It took five months for my passport to come back with the visa. Flew from Little Rock to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Taipei, Taipei to Beijing, spent the night in Beijing, flew the next day into Ulaanbaatar. Jet lagged out of your mind. Got there. So decimated that there was no customs or immigration at the airport. We walked down a, a, you know, a ramp onto the tarmac, walked into this little building, they literally brought a tray up with our bags. There was no security. There was no anything. Got my bag, got in the missionary's car. He drove me to this little, little place I was staying, this little concrete block building painted white, and the missionaries called it the White House. <laughs> no bathroom in the room. You had a little bathroom down the hall, a little tiny room, little, just a little mattress on a little frame. Every morning, just to give you an idea, every morning the part of the room would come with breakfast. So I, I'm, I do pretty good. I lived in Europe a number of years. I, I, I speak some German, lived there in Germany. I speak Spanish pretty well. Uh, but I couldn't say yes and no in Mongolian. So I come downstairs, and there's this little Mongolian lady. And I have no doubt that she, I'm the only one in there right then. This little lady is asking me in Mongolian what I feel certain was, what do you want for breakfast? I can't say water in Mongolian. I don't know egg, bread, nothing. And I was like, you ever feel that moment? Or, and she looks at me and, and says the same phrase. She says it louder and slower so that I'll understand. It did not work, all right? I'm praying, Lord, I hear these stories of people just, you supernaturally dropping a language and this would be good, and he didn't. I'm standing there, and then she says it again. I, don't, I can't say it, but I'm sure it was, what do you want for breakfast? And I'm like, <laughs> and at that moment, inspiration from the throne of God hit me, came down, I looked right at her, and I did this. 
buck, 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 buck. I got eggs every day after that, all right? You can communicate if you got to, all right? <laughs> got to do what you got to do, amen? I came down the next day, she smiled, went, buck, buck. I went, buck, buck. And I had, all right, got to eat, man, all right? Yeah, pride goes out the window when you're hungry, all right? The missionary said, now, at the time, I was living in Conway, Arkansas. It's about 40 miles northwest of Little Rock. And the University of Central Arkansas was six blocks from my home. Large state school, UCA, we called it. Um, step out of my door and see the administration building, the UCA. The missionary said, and I, guys, I hear that. Uh, let me grab the, this one. Yeah. This one good? I'm on, you're going to mute this one? Good. He said, listen, because there's no immigration, no customs at the airport, I have to take you downtown to an office where they will register your passport, and you just tell them you're a tourist, you're only going to be here for a week. He said, when you're here a long time, like we are, they keep your passports while you're here. And he said, and we're going to be flying home the day before you go back, and I'm going down to pick up our passports he said, but I don't want them to know you're with us. They know us to be missionaries. It was a militant Buddhist country. Very difficult at that time to get missionaries in. And he said, and I don't want them to know you're with me. So I'm, when we get there, I'm going to send one of my Mongolian guys who speaks a little bit of English. He's going to go in, or I'm going to go in. You wait five minutes and come in with him and just act like you don't know me. And I said, fine, I don't know you. He goes in, we wait a few minutes, we, I walk in, and this room, guys, there were these like old-fashioned bank uh, tellers with little cubicle-type things and a glass window with a little slot underneath, and each one of them had a different person working, and you'd walk up, and it just so happened that Brother Mike Luton ended up at the very furthest one on that end, and I was at the very furthest one on this end. And I walk up, and the lady speaks almost no English. And she said the word tourist, and I said yes, and she's working with my stuff. And all of a sudden, from the far end, this missionary, in a loud voice, he says, that guy, that guy right there, that guy right there on the end, that white guy right there. And he's pointing at me. And I'm like, I don't know that guy. I've never been to jail at that point in time, and I don't want to go to Mongolian jail for the first time. And so I'm, I am shocked. I'm not playing now. I don't know what he's... And the lady that is waiting on him sort of stands up and she points at me. She goes, come down here. And I'm like, I, what, I don't know that guy. You know, I'm, I don't know when the... And I walk down and missionary Mike Luton says this to this lady. She says, tell, tell him... This... Up here? Okay, there you go. Tell him what you told me. He says this to the lady. Tell this, tell this guy what you told me. And she says, I have a sister. I have a sister who is studying in the United States. Very broken English. One of only four exchange students from Mongolians. The first ones, I think, that had come after the Soviet Union fell. And she said, and we've had no contact. We, have, we don't get mail. We don't have phones. And we haven't been able to communicate with my sister for two years. She said, would you take something back with you and mail it to her? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And the missionary says, no, no, no. Tell him what you told me. 
Tell them where your sister is. She says, my sister is studying at the University of Arkansas Central. University of Central Arkansas. That's six blocks from my house. I'm on the other side of the world. If you think you can't make a difference. And if that just, I thought, wow, what a coincidence. What an incredible coincidence. She said, would you, she doesn't really get it that that's where I live. And so she arranges to find me before I leave. So we go on with the rest of our week and finish up what we're doing. And the last night I was there, I walk upstairs to go to my room before they're going to take me to the airport the next morning. And when I get up to the top of this little stairs, that lady is sitting on the floor by the door to my room. And so I walk up to her and she stands up and I had sort of forgotten, you know, because, you know, I'm going to mail, you know, I'm going to take something. And she stands up and she's holding this shoebox. Now, if you don't think you can do something, if you don't think the Lord knows where you are and who you are. She stands up and she's got this shoebox and it's all wrapped and taped and it's still open, but it's got her sister's address and all the stuff on it. And she said, you, you will mail to my sister? And I said, no, 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 you, you, don't, you don't understand. You don't know where I'm from. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to find her. And it begins to dawn on her, you know, what's going on. Emma, did I tell this story at Isom? Have you heard this before? No? She opens this box, and I will never, ever forget what was in it. We're in a place where you couldn't buy bread. There aren't stores. And in the box was a brand new pair of pink high-top Converse All-Stars. Where do you get those in Mongolia? That was cool. She reaches down in that box, and there's about a one-inch thick stack of letters with a rubber band around it. And they're from mom and dad and sisters, and I don't know who all. Writing letters to this girl. It's, you know, I'm getting, the, I'm, getting the, you know, I'm getting the feels now, all right? I didn't see the hand of God until the next thing. She reaches into that shoebox. And Pastor Brian, she pulls out a stack of business cards about an eighth of an inch thick with a paper clip on them. She turns it around. She looks right at me. I still remember even the way she said it. She said, you come back to Mongolia, Yes. I said, oh, I, I don't know. I haven't been back. I don't know if I'll ever be back. And then she, got, she said, no, you, you come back to Mongolia. I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she got stern. And then she said this. She said, if you or anyone from your organization want to come to Mongolia, she points at her business card and she says, you contact me. She said, I'm the one who proved visas. took that stack of business cards and I gave them to the missionary family that was going to be staying there and to my knowledge that began a relationship that has enabled us to get many missionary families in Mongolia now you don't think you don't think the Lord knows where you are what are the chances a girl is going to school six blocks from my house and I'm in the I'm in the queue at the right place to run into her sister on the other side of the world. 
I come home. I thought that's the end of the story. That was enough for me. And the Lord wasn't quite done yet. And in fact, this story is still going on. I get back. I call up Noble Bowman. Noble is our Chi Alpha missionary. He works under me as the district youth director there. I said, Noble, I got to find somebody. Goes to UCA, a student. He said, yeah, what? Yeah, I can. I said, can you? I said, I just got back from Mongolia. I got to find this girl. He said, you got her name? I said, yeah. I said, can you find her? He said, yeah. I'll call the registrar's office. They'll tell me where she is. They probably wouldn't do that today. They'd flip out and not give you any information. But he, I think, well, it's going to take him a few days or something. He calls me back in like five minutes. He said, I know which dorm she's in. I said, we got to go. He said, when do you want to go? I said, right now. You got to come pick me up. We drive to this lady's dorm. And still, Pastor Brian, it's surreal to me. Man, it's like a... It's like something you read in a Pentecostal evangel or a, see on some movie. Except I'm in it. We walk into this girl's dorm. We walk over to this desk, you know, a little, little, you know, window. There's this young girl on the, I guess the RA that's on duty or something. And we walk up and I said, hey, we're, we're, we're looking for a, a Mongolian girl that's in this, that's in this dorm. Do you know her? And that, that lady looked at me. She said, this young girl, college student, she said, dude, there's only one Mongolian girl in this place. We all know her. All right? I'm like, man, that makes sense, you know? Girls dorm. I said, can I talk to her? You know, it's getting real now. She said, yeah, hang on just a minute. She turns around, hits an intercom button, says something in the intercom, and you ever get the, you ever get the, Pentecostal goosebumps or the, you know what I'm talking about, where you begin to, I mean, I mean, I'm like, man, this is happening. About five minutes. This girl comes walking down the stairs. Walks over to that window. She's the girl says, Hey, those those two guys wanting to see you. I can't imagine what she's thinking. Who are these two weirdos? She walks up to me and she says, very good English. She says, Can I help you? I still remember her name. I said, are you a Tunchimek? She said, weird look on her face. She said, yeah. I said, I just got back from Ulaanbaatar. This is from your sister. Man, that girl just, just erupted. She grabbed that shoebox and clutched it to her chest. She opened it up, took out those shoes, dropped the shoes on the floor, grabbed those letters, fell to her knees, clutching those letters to her chest, just weeping. It's been two years since she'd heard from her mom or her family. If you don't think the Lord knows who you are and where you live and that he can create an intersection in your life to bring light and hope and joy come on if he can take a product of drug addict alcohol my dad died an alcoholic my mom finally got sober about 10 years ago called me out of the blue I'd never my girls had never spent the night in the house with her she said can I move up there with you and it was a serious moment where I thought oh man why? I asked her. 
I, I hadn't lived with her ever, really. I said, Mom, why do you want to move up here? She said, well, I really don't know your family. And she said, and I'm tired of all the drama in my life. I said, Mom, this is a woman that abandoned me three times, left me with a friend, moved off and left me with her parents. There was a little bit of flesh for a moment. I thought, I'm going to tell her no. And the Lord said, but let your good works shine before men that they might praise your Father in heaven. I said, Mom, I'll get a truck. I'll be there tomorrow. I moved her up to Alton. Found her a senior apartment. Three years later, on the front row of my church, during an evangelist Lynn Wheeler revival, she gave her heart to Jesus. Amen. I talked to her on the phone yesterday driving up here. This reprobate, I mean, man, she was a mess. The most common question I get from her now goes along these lines. Sweetie, I was reading in Matthew. What does it mean where Jesus said, because he can redeem what the locust ate? Amen? You say, the Lord can't use me. Yeah, he can. He created you to change the world around you. He made you to do it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Yeah.